back, my friend, and welcome to episode 26 of this Bible study podcast series, Reading Through the Gospel of Luke. I'm so glad you're here with me again today as we pick up where we left off yesterday in the middle of Jesus' teaching moment in chapter 12 of Luke's Gospel, verses 35 through 59 today. We're going to pick up uh, with some it's kind of fiery words from Jesus. So let's get locked in. Let's open up in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, open up our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. Gird your loins and light your lamps and be like servants who await their master's return from a wedding, ready to open immediately when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds vigilant on his arrival. Amen, I say to you, he will gird himself, have them recline at table and proceed to wait on them. And should he come in the second or third watch and find them prepared in this way, blessed are those servants. Be sure of this. If the master of the house had known the hour when the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be prepared, for at an hour you do not expect the Son of Man will come. Then Peter said, Lord, is this parable meant for us or for everyone? The Lord replied, Who then is the faithful and prudent steward whom the master will put in charge of his servants to distribute the food allowance at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master on arrival finds doing so. Truly, I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his property. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants to eat and drink and get drunk, then that servant's master will come on an unexpected day and at an unknown hour, and will punish him severely and assign him a place with the unfaithful. That servant who knew his master's will but did not make preparations nor act in accord with his will shall be beaten severely. And the servant who is ignorant of his master's will but acted in a way deserving of a severe beating shall be beaten only lightly. Much will be required of the person entrusted with much and still more will be demanded of the person entrusted with more. I have come to set the earth on fire and how I wish it were already blazing. There's a baptism with which I must be baptized, and how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to establish peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, a household of five shall be divided, three against two and two against three. A father will be divided against his son and a son against his father, a mother against her daughter and a daughter against her mother, a mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He said also to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say immediately that it is going to rain. And so it does. And when you notice that the wind is blowing from the south, you say that it's going to be hot. And so it is. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. Why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? If you are to go with your opponent before a magistrate, make an effort to settle the matter along the way. Otherwise, your opponent will turn you over to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the constable, and the constable throw you into prison. I say to you, you will not be released until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Tough teachings. Here from Jesus today, let's get into it. It's the continued preaching of Jesus that we're continuing picking up where we left off yesterday, talking a lot about kind of preparation and expectation and vigilance in some way. He begins with just a, a fun line, gird your loins and light your lamps, talking about preparation, being vigilant. And he gives a parable of sorts. He says, he talks about servants 
preparing and ready for when a master returns from a wedding. And he encourages his disciples to be like this. And he says, if the master returns to find faithful servants, then the master himself will gird himself, have them, have the servants recline at table and proceed to wait on them. That this is, I think this is a a joyful promise for us that if we faithfully serve now, then we will be served by the master later. That if we if we do it now, we'll get the reward later. And he sa- Jesus says, even if he comes in the second or third watch. So the reality is, who knows when? To, to be prepared. For us to be prepared and to be vigilant and to be faithful. And he compares this coming of the master to, to a thief in the night. And he says that no, no one knows when the thief is coming to break into the master's house. So to be prepared at all times. And Jesus says, be prepared for an hour you do not expect. The son of man will come. This is what this parable is referring to, uh, a coming of the Son of Man. Now, interesting, we've already established, I think up to this point for sure, that Jesus is the Son of Man, right? But he's already here. So when he says, when the Son, when the son of Man will come, he must be referring to some coming again later. And here is certainly a very explicit reference to the second coming of Jesus, some kind of second coming, which I think has been kind of implicitly talked about by Jesus before up to this point, but there also isn't a ton of Old Testament reference to this. This is kind of a new, new concept of some kind of second coming of the Messiah after this present first coming. And Jesus will continue to talk about what this time period, the second coming might be. But Peter responds to him after Jesus says all this, he says, is this just for us or is this for everyone? Which is, I think is a fair question. Thanks for the question, Peter. Jesus doesn't really respond very directly to the question, but gives a parable. And he begins to talk about faithful and unfaithful stewards, and he gives three scenarios. So the first is a faithful steward who the, mas- the master returns and finds that the faithful steward did everything according to his request. And Jesus says, I say to you, he will, be, he will put him in charge of all his property. So he'll be, he'll be rewarded for being a faithful steward. Second scenario is an unfaithful steward who says, Oh, my master, my master is delayed in coming. And he disobeys the master and eats and drinks and beats people and just completely disobey, disobeys and lives life in this kind of uh, poor fashion. It, Jesus says the master will punish him severely and assign him a place with the unfaithful when he returns. I have another Bible translation where where it says, will punish him severely. It reads, the master will cut him in pieces. That is, that is brutal words from Jesus about what will happen to us if we are unfaithful stewards. And the third scenario, kind of an in-between scenario, is of an ignorant steward. Jesus says, didn't really know his master's will, but acted in a similar way to the unfaithful steward, uh, will still be punished, but will be, Jesus says, shall be beaten only lightly, a slightly lesser punishment, basically because of the ignorance, but will still, still be punished, still will not receive the reward, because Jesus says the master will come on an unexpected day and at an unknown hour, 
that this is this is what the message is for us that we have been entrusted with the father's will and we are called to be faithful stewards of this message this gospel that jesus gives us the will of god the father and if we are faithful stewards if so Jesus says much will be required of the person entrusted with much and still more will be demanded of the person entrusted with more. That God will continue to to bless us in abundance. If we are faithful stewards, God will give us more and he'll ask more of us and and invite us into this this invitation of abundance in following, following the message and being disciples of Jesus closer and closer to the heart of God. But if not, If we aren't faithful stewards of this gospel, Jesus warns us of the punishment. Jesus warns us here of of what might happen to us. But Jesus is on a roll here. He's on a roll. He's getting a little fiery and intense in this section of the gospel here. And in this section that he's preaching on, he says, I have come to set the earth on fire and how I wish it were already blazing. This is maybe a reference to the prophet Malachi chapter 3, which we've referenced a bunch so far in this story, talking about how the Lord will suddenly come to his temple. And verse 2 says, Who can stand when he appears? For he is a refiner's fire. That Jesus the Messiah has come to refine the world and purify the world like fire. And Jesus says, There is a baptism with, much, with which I must be baptized, and how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. Now if we reference back to the baptism that Jesus has already experienced. We talked a little bit back in uh, chapter 3 about how Jesus' baptism maybe in some ways foreshadowed his death, his passion and his, his burial and ultimately his resurrection. But either way, we know that this is, this is kind of symbolic language from Jesus. He's already experienced a baptism. So this baptism that he's talking about is probably symbolic for Something big yet to come that Jesus is going to do or experience. And I want to kind of jump ahead in the story and just make this statement that we understand and interpret this as Jesus talking about his passion. That the baptism with which he's going to be baptized is this this passion and suffering and death and burial and resurrection that Jesus is going to experience. And there's very important implications for that interpretation. Because if that's what Jesus is talking about, he says... How great is my anguish until it's accomplished. That Jesus is speaking about some kind of eagerness. That Jesus is eager for his passion. Why? How could Jesus, as he says here, be eager for this baptism that he's, with which he's going to be baptized? Eager for his, his death, his passion, he's going to experience. Because this is the truth. That the passion and cross of Jesus is the means for our salvation and our salvation is the means for our reuniting with God. Our ability to become to come back into relationship with God as we were made to be. And that reuniting us with God is the deepest longing of the heart of God, the deepest longing of Jesus Christ. And Jesus' immense longing and his love for humanity to be reunited with them in heaven The means through that is the cross. The means through that is Jesus' passion and death on the cross. So therefore, the cross is the heights of love. The cross and Jesus' passion is the heights of his desperate longing to love humanity. And his, his greatest act of love is the crucifixion. His greatest act of love is the cross. So the cross is the heights of love of God for his people. That's incredible. 
Because right here we find Jesus eager. He says, how great is my anguish until this baptism is accomplished. How great is my anguish until I achieve the moment of love on the cross. How great is the love of God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. That's incredible for me. When I read this and I thought through that, um, that was that was a real moment for me. And I hope that you experience that in some way. When Jesus continues, he's, I mean, he's still, still on a roll, still preaching, um, kind of a, a difficult message. And this is difficult too. He says, do you think I have come to establish peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division, which I think makes us pause because, I mean, especially if we go back to, you know, what the angels said in chapter two, what the angels said to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those whom he favors. Isn't Jesus supposed to bring peace? And why does he say not peace? Well, I think if we go back, maybe just a few chapters, chapter 10, verses 5 through 6, when Jesus is sending the 70 out on mission, he says, into whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. And if a peaceful person lives there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. That it's only those receptive to the peace of Christ that will receive it. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that, unfortunately, many, if not most, won't be receptive to that peace. So rather, this gospel message will be a cause of division. And particularly so, Jesus mentions how it will become for households and families a, a means of disruption that households and families will be divided, that this gospel message will be so hard to accept that it, it breaks apart like the intimate family bonds that people have. I think this is, if we look through the Old Testament a little bit, the prophet Micah, chapter 7, verses 6 through 7, kind of adds this a little bit. He says, The son belittles his father, the daughter rises up against her mother, and your enemies are members of your household. But as for me, I will look to the Lord I will wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. That this is essentially prophesied in some way by Micah about this reality, which I, I know is very true, and we have this in our experience and in in what we see in our world today. The reality of our fallen nature as sinful human beings is broken families. That by the grace of God, I have I've had a, a great family experience in my life in my life, but so many families around me in, in our world today are broken and definitely are not united together. And um, the truth is that what Jesus is saying here in some ways, that this gospel message might not be a unifying measure in a family, a family that is broken. And there may be situations, and I'm sure that this is true for many people, maybe you who are listening or people that you know, where a decision almost has to be made between uh, loyalty or trying to stick with the the union of of the family in some way, uh, or or choosing to stick with faith in the gospel, because the gospel may not be universally and uniformly believed by members of your family. But Jesus says that this message, this gospel message, is more important. What a difficult message to add. What a difficult saying of Jesus this is. Like really um, much easier said than done. But I think, again, because this is in my experience, because I, by the grace of God, had a great family, but um, have a great family, that I think there may be a way to reconcile the two 
of that families may be broken and the gospel may not be the unifying force in the family and may not be uniformly believed by all members of the family. But I think there is still the balance of loyalty and love to the family while sticking with the truth of the gospel. And maybe in some way that witness is a witness to the other members of the family. And even if as difficult as that is, we maybe find hope and can try to cling to the trust of what Jesus just said when we read yesterday, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added. Can we have faith in that? Uh, particularly if if the gospel is a cause of, if like faith is a cause of division in your household, um, can we trust that if we seek first the kingdom, then everything else will be added? It's tricky. A lot of this is, this is some, some tricky sayings from Jesus, but ultimately we know that it's it's the gospel and it's the truth and it's good and it's it's good for us and it's so necessary. Um, but Jesus continues. He continues to speak and he makes a note here in verses 54 through 56 about the signs of the times. He makes two very clear analogies that everyone would understand that one, when you see cloud, what do you know is coming? When you see a cloud, what do you know is coming? Rain is, is on its way. When you feel a wind blowing from the south, what do you know is on its way? Heat. This heat is coming from the south. Jesus calls the people hypocrites because although people understand these very clear signs, people don't see what's happening in Jesus. What's really happening here in Jesus. He's essentially saying, behold, something is happening here. And I need you to understand this message of the gospel because it's it's urgent. And he continues to speak urgently about this and in some way analogize, analogizes the, this present preparation that he's calling people to, um, to, he says, going before a magistrate. He says, if, you're, if you were to go with your opponent before a magistrate, make an effort to settle the matter along the way. Because trying to, to settle things with an opponent along the way before going in front of a judge is much, much easier than trying to risk the you know your opponent handing you over to the judge, judge to the constable, constable into prison, as Jesus says. Much easier to make amends with settling an opponent before you go before the judge than trying to do it after you've been sentenced. And it's the same message for us. Much, much easier, even though it seems hard, for us to make amends and to repent now than to deal with the judgment to come that Jesus is talking about. We have the opportunity now. Jesus has given us the message of the gospel and has called us to repentance now and we ought to take it up because it's much easier, even though it seems hard, to do it now than to deal with the consequences later. Because Jesus says, if so, if we are sent to prison, as he says in the, in the parable, you will not be released until you have paid the last penny. Even to the smallest amount, the entirety of your debt will be owed. And this is kind of a, an analogy for sin. That our sin for us, is an accumulation of debt. That we are, in a sense, kind of stealing from God, from his, from his wealth of grace, stealing from God by sin, taking things for ourselves, and in that way accumulating debt that because God is a just God, we owe him back. And Jesus says that we will not be released until we've paid the last penny. Because that's justice. So the message here for us is, that in our sin, we are accumulating debt that we will have to pay at some point. So repent now. We ought to, I ought to repent now 
for the times to come, this second coming and this judgment that Jesus has begun talking about. And Jesus is fired up about this. This is like the most feisty and fired up we've had Jesus so far. Um, Some tough teachings, but he's being urgent. He's speaking this message to us urgently, so we ought to have ears to hear that we should repent uh, because of what's to come and to be aware of that and to, to seek Jesus and to return to him with our hearts. And this is kind of the message of, of Lent, the season that we're in right now. Lent is a season of repentance where we examine ourselves and see where am I turning away from God and where do I need to come back into his mercy and into his grace uh, because of what Jesus is talking about today. That this time, the time will come, the master will return, Jesus is coming again, and we know not the time, the day, or the hour. So today, may we repent and come back uh, and return to the gospel as we've been called. I hope that you got something out of this today, and I hope that this speaks truth, and I hope it's uh, charitably spoken to you, and that you receive it well, because uh, these are the words of Christ. This is the very words of the gospel, so we ought to hear it well. Can't wait to do this again with you tomorrow. Let's end in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.